Hello, and welcome to episode two of Conscious Outlaws. Uh, today, I'm we're here with Grant Hunter, and I am Cynthia Hendricks. Um, and today, we're going to have the pleasure of Grant giving us a walkthrough of the Medicine Chest of Changemakers, Blue Pill to Red Pill to Black Pill to White Pill. And this is a perfect second episode for our podcast, we feel, because we our fundamental intention is to find truth with a capital T. And so we're taking a walk through the various options out there and our perspective on where we can really find that truth with a capital T. So Grant, do you want to begin by telling us a little bit about sort of the intention of this episode uh, and why you feel this medicine chest is important to examine? Sure. Thank you so much, Cynthia. And thank you for everyone who's tuned in. Yeah, well, I think maybe it would be useful just to define what we mean by conscious outlaws, because as Cynthia foreshadowed, this episode provides kind of a, a context for what we intend to do with the uh, entire podcast. And we're, the intent for starting Conscious Outlaws was to you know, give voice to both the relative tyranny or the tyranny of our relative world here in time and space, as well as to the timeless spiritual dimension as well. And as we're in search of capital T truth, the the outlaw piece of this is really about pushing back against conformist reality, the illusion that we live in day to day, promulgated by a corrupted media, and to find what's really happening in our relative world. The conscious piece of this is really pointing to the transcendent, the spiritual, that timeless dimension of experience. And we play at that intersection. When I say we, all of us, right? All of us are spiritual beings having human experiences, essentially. And we have the capacity to touch into deeper spiritual truths to find that dimension of reality that transcends understanding, that perfect peace that transcends understanding, the timeless dimension, spaciousness, freedom, the eternal. And yet we're here in these biological meat suits, essentially, for a short period of time and living this human experience. And we exist at that crossroads. And so Conscious Outlaws is a our attempt to courageously get real with what's happening in our relative world, but also be able to drop a taproot at any moment into capital T truth, if you will, that transcends all of the ups and downs, the comings and goings of our relative world. And this relates to the notion of uh, the modern cult classic movie, The Matrix, released in 1999, where this concept of blue pill versus red pill was introduced. And for those who know the movie, the protagonist, Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, is given an option essentially to stay in illusion, stay trapped in a produced conformist reality, a relative reality where, which is really nothing more than a simulation, perhaps a pleasant one, but not real. And Morpheus, his mentor in this section of the movie offers him the red pill, which is the red pill of truth. It is the, the pill that dissolves the scales from Neo's eyes so that he can see what's really happening. And for those who know the movie, I think this represents when he realizes he's in this pod, essentially, with a electric thing sticking out of the back of his neck where his body is essentially powering adding power to the matrix of which he is a part and when he literally and metaphorically unplugs from that 
matrix, which is powering a illusory simulation of life, is the move from from red or sorry from blue to red. So there's an awakening to the truth of the corruption and tyranny of the relative world. That essentially is the move from blue, the conformist reality that we get from family, friends, culture, the media, that colors our personal purpose and who we think we are and what we think we should do with our lives, to moving to something more real, yeah, stripping away of all of that. That's the basic move from blue to red. Uh, absolutely. And do you want to speak a little bit more? Because I think uh, about how this is operating on two levels. Um, yeah. Because if we sort of extend this metaphor, uh, we can see how, you know, on one hand, there's, you know, a wide spectrum in terms of the <laughs> stories that are being offered, right? Or the, even the solutions that are being offered in these very confusing times. And um, there's certainly what we might put into a category of blue pill, that is um, the conventional, you know, channel five news. Yeah. uh, What you're sort of seeing on predominant social media versus um, another perspective that we could call red pill. That's more awakened to hard scientific fact and, a non-control agenda. Um, And then there's the second layer that you speak to, which is this idea that we are really bought into and very heavily invested in a material-based reality versus a spirit or soul-based reality. Do you want to speak to that a little bit more and and sort of how that metaphor in the matrix plays out in these times and why we feel it's so significant to delineate? Yeah, sure. No, it's, it's super critical. Yeah, this, uh, there's a lot of ways we can talk about it. I call it relative and absolute awakening. And, and, and in a sense, if we follow the uh, jump back into the matrix for a second, I think there's at least two levels of Neo's awakening, which is sort of the invitation for viewers of the film and for us today, for the reasons you just mentioned, is that the relative side is a recognition to what's really happening in our relative world, which is, as you point out, what's being essentially an illusion that's being propped up by a complicit media, which historically has been, you know, supposedly created to speak truth to power, to be a foil against the accumulation of too much power in too few hands. Mm-hmm. And to, to be a stand for the everyman. Right. And, and since that's been co-opted, we're living under an illusion. We're living under a, a co-opted produced reality that has no right. b- basis. That relative awakening in, in, the, in the matrix, as I said, is when he pulls out the whatever that cord out of the back of his neck, which is essentially his body producing the energy to help contribute to the running of the, the relative world matrix. And again, following the movie a little further, you see later in the movie and in subsequent sequels that he's not only just that person who's unplugged from that embryonic sack of fluid and, and he wakes up and he sees what's really going on in the world, in this relative world and time and place. But then he also recognizes that he's not merely his body, that he's also energy. And some people have said, well, is he, is he the savior figure? Is he the Christ figure? Is he the transcendent spirit? I think all of those things are, are, are on message and are possible. He certainly has played something like that role. I'll leave it at that. I don't know if, if that was the intent of the producers of the movie exactly. But I think what it points to is that Neo both wakes up from this embryonic sack of illusion, if you will, and realizes what's really going on in this relative world here in time and place in space. And he also goes beyond this where he becomes essentially energy himself, light, where he 
feels himself into the spiritual dimension of the world as well. It points to this dual nature of reality, the relative and the absolute, and that he's operating in this other dimension. And I think we all, all of us have that capacity to, when we talk about capital T truth, it's a recognition of both lowercase t and uppercase t, if you will, of of the truth of the essential spiritual nature of the world that we live in and that we can participate in consciously. And that's the real waking up beyond even relative red pill to, to uh, our spiritual dimension as well. Absolutely. And I think both at the moment, um, you know, I, I think you might agree that both um, the access and remembering of our spiritual nature, um, as well as the access to a spectrum of truth and opinion, right? Um, That I think free speech and, as you pointed to, the media um, is supposed to be presenting. Um, Both those things are highly compromised by the blue pill, quote unquote, um, sort of mask over things, right? Mm -hmm. Or blinding. And, and I, and so I, I think that, you know, I, I think this um, metaphors or the analogy with the matrix is so powerful because I think what we're pointing to here is this crossroads where so many of us are waking up to the blinders or the illusions that have been put before us that block our access to truth, both relative um, and, and with the big T, um, mm-hmm. or whatever else. And so, you know, from this place, right, where we begin to realize how asleep we've been, and how gaslit we've been in, in right. many ways. Um, there's this real challenge before us <laughs> um, that ranges from sort of a cognitive dissonance, you know, shock, despair, isolation, um, challenges with describing what we're waking up to and seeing to other people who haven't woken up yet. Um, and I think that this you've categorized as being an experience of what you call the black pill. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, I want to, I want to get to that, but I also, I want to follow up on what you mentioned around um, being gaslit uh, because what's important for our listeners here to understand is that this isn't mere happenstance that people are, you know, essentially sleepwalking through their lives. This is intentional. And, you know, it's uh, Edward Bernays is the nephew of Sigmund Freud, who wrote a powerful book called Propaganda. He's often known as the, the father of PR, public relations. And public relations is, as it sounds, the, the uh, attempt to manage perception and usually in business that's perception around brands and products and so on but this what we're dealing with because we even though here in the united states we nominally have the first amendment and have free speech and we live in a you know constitutionally limited democratic republic the reality is very different from that. We live in a, yeah, we live in a oligarchy essentially with power concentrated at the top, the top of the pyramid. And their agenda is not for our full flourishing. I, I think it's safe to say that the desire to consolidate and centralize power on a global level is hardly conspiracy theory when groups like the World Economic Forum and the United Nations and others are 
explicitly and out in the open declaring their agenda to centralize power. Now, of course, the reasons for it, as I say to people when I try to paint someone with too broad of a brush, I say, well, we can never really see into the heart of another man or woman, right? We can't really know their intentions, but I think we can begin to offer some educated guesses when they're these people are openly stating their agenda. I'll take them at their word and not have to begin to speculate what their intentions are or try to get inside their head or inside their heart to feel what moves them. I mean, when, when the World Economic Forum is saying that by 2030, we'll own nothing and we'll be happy, that gives me pause. Tell me the difference between that and authoritarian communism. I, I see no difference. And in fact, what's going on now, and this what got me down this road, as you mentioned in gaslighting, is that gaslighting is a way to engineer outrage in the culture and to, to, to spark culture wars between people of different, with differing opinions. And what those fomented culture wars really are about are saying, let the plebes go fight amongst themselves, lest they look up at who their real enemies are. And the real enemy are the people at the top. And whether it's talking, we're talking about medical interventions that we either want to choose to have in our bodies or in our children's bodies or not, or whether we're talking about the uh, the future of technology and uh, the the future of our money system, people reasonable people can disagree, but the reality is is that that disagreement is being shut off. Open and free speech is being shut down and censored, and moreover, those who hold opinions that are counter to the blue pill mainstream conformist narrative are being ridiculed, shunned, dismissed. And therein lies the divisions, these false divisions between otherwise reasonable people of good faith that are being, you know, pitched against one another. And that is indicative of manipulation and control. And yeah, scary, scary time. So I just was wanted to underscore that as we talk about the blue to the red is that this isn't just merely happening as an artifact that, well, that's just the way life is. No, there are small groups of people that are, have wield undue undue uh, influence over the entire world. Well, I, I want to speak to that for a moment because you raised sort of a good point about sort of examining the heart of the men who are behind it. Right. And I I think there's something really important to acknowledge here in this, which is that we live in a capitalist society with a capitalist oligarchy, right? So the king is the company, right? I mean, in a capitalist market, right? The biggest company is the king. That's the reality, right? Who wields the most power. And it's not even an unnatural thing. I mean, in, in in terms of sort of how it becomes that, right? And even its intentions aren't necessarily fundamentally nefarious, nor are they an expression, I believe, of just one man's misaligned heart. Because really in a corporation, right, the goal is increase profits. The goal isn't, you know, make life for all the people on the planet better. The goal isn't save the, the earth, right? The goal isn't, mm-hmm. you know, the goal isn't, you know, what's best for the whole, right? right? The goal is what's best to increase the profits of our particular corporate interests. And 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 that's you know left unchecked what we're seeing, right? So the marketplace of ideas, you know, aka the media that is now owned by this by these various corporations, you know, are no longer really, you know, free speech. It's promoting influence 
to purchase, to become fantastic consumers. <laughs> and, 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 and the, the reality is really, this is a product of unchecked capitalism, in my opinion, right? I mean, it's, and, and because the inevitability, right, is, is that corporations will consolidate control in order to have more power. I mean, all of these are sort of natural consequences of, of this type of economic system that then, you know, because a corporation isn't a person, a corporation is a lot of people, right, kind of serving one, you know, actually not inherently bad goal, which is to produce more money for the person they work for, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then it becomes sort of, again, sort of left unchecked. So I just want to go back to the, you know, and, and we can go sort of deeper down, you mm-hmm. know, there's obviously more to it, but it's, it's sort of simplest, most generous level. We have to be working with the fundamental understanding in that in the type of economic system we have, there is no way that the information we are getting and the um, sort of programming that's being offered us has the intention to sort of better us or the world or the earth or anything else. It is to promote product and to make you an incredible consumer. And that's just a that's just a fact. That's why, right? Yeah. You know? And and the con and and the and and the one of the you know dangers of this type of sort of economic construct left unchecked, left unexamined, right? Let's say. Um, well, and, and I would qualify this kind of indictment of capitalism this way. I would say that what you're beginning to point to is a pathological version of capitalism. Some people call it crony capitalism in particular. Well, what you're pointing to is to say unchecked profit, unchecked profit seeking among the powerful will lead to one direction. And it's probably not in the interest of us. (laughs) We're merely what's required of power money to be assembled at the top of the company and perhaps to shareholders. Is is that, that's, yeah. I mean, what in, I mean, is it, I mean, I guess this is the question and this, this is really mm-hmm. sort of goes to, you know, your sort of greater work, but what's built into our system now that would, you know, require a corporation to, to be responsible, to have really concern over anything other than its profits, right? It's, it's not been elected president, you know? So I, I guess what I'm sort of mm-hmm. pointing to here is sort of this it's not to say that they should sort of have, you know, cart sort of blanche, you know, disregard, but it is to say, you know, that we're sort of categorizing something as pathology, but it, but I, I sort of am seeing it a bit more as an inevitable consequence, you know, of, of circumstance to some degree. I mean, it's, it's just mm-hmm. a little, you know, we're kind of getting off track here. So yeah. But, but I guess what I want to sort of say about it is, is that, you know, we can, we can even examine this without assuming anybody's really sort of to blame or there's nefarious intentions and so forth. I mean, I think that there are, but, it, but it's really to say that there's, there's something sort of fundamentally important about understanding the nature of where we're getting our information and where we're getting our messages and where these directives are coming from. Yeah. Well, I, there's a, there's a lot in what you've shared and I, I would agree with you that in many ways, you know, if you're a kind of a, an average CEO of a company who is operating at something like an egocentric level of, of consciousness all about me and mine, but it's only natural for him to maximize profit. I mean, that's kind of, that's the, the simple, we can, we, we can take away, we don't have to layer on that any other ill intent other than his desire to, to make money for his shareholders. And if we believe good old Milton Friedman, that, you know, the only social responsibility of business is to deliver profit to, to shareholders and that kind of business 1.0 model, then he's right in line that he's doing yeah. his job and he's doing it well. What's his corporate responsibility? 
to say, yeah, you know, his responsibility, exactly. This notion of responsibility back in the day was make money for shareholders. Everything yeah. else is on the shareholders. If shareholders want to go and, you know, donate money to a nonprofit to deliver other social or environmental ends, that's on them. And it's up well, to them. And, I mean, there's a fiduciary duty. I mean, we can go so far. Even right. Corporate law where it is it's right. not, one, one CEO can't just sort of decide, oh, I think we should, you know, devote other funds to save, you know, the, the, solve the water problem in Africa. You know? Right. I mean, that's exactly. Like, exactly. That's yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Anyway, especially, especially, <laughs> certainly in a public company, that's 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 true. And what 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 I would say though that it's important to 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 add this kind of amendum to this. Where, where this addendum to this is the is the fact that where I think capitalism, I don't want to indict capitalism altogether. What I want to say are two things. First of all, well, and I said left unchecked, right? Because left I, unchecked. <laughs> left unchecked or le- 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 left unresponsive to a customer base whose values are evolving such that say there's a move from cheap renewable you know cheap uh throwaway consumer culture is being replaced for a desire for more authentic products for more durable products made with care authentic experiences my point is is that as it becomes profitable for companies to quote do the right thing which is just is deliver more than more cheap crap that's going to end up in the you know the junkyard in you know six months or whatever and just building promulgating this consumerist culture of more 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 that i do believe that business does stand in a wonderful position to satisfy those needs like is it is capitalism ugly if if what it's doing is providing you know low-cost health care to off-grid communities and emerging markets that could never otherwise be met well i think not that's a that's a good thing if they're generating profit in the pursuit of building real value it comes down to how we define what's valuable and I think there are no, there's noble profit to be earned in solving real problems and delivering genuine flourishing to the world. So there's a way that we can find our way back to a healthy version of capitalism. So I hate to indict the institution well, too sure. broadly, too broadly. And I, and I agree with you there. And I think this is maybe the maybe that deep dive into that is a uh, another podcast grant <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and i, I want to go into that because it's juicy and it's important that you're i'm, I'm glad you brought it up what yes. i would add the second the, the second part though is is that we're not even really talking about capitalism proper we're talking about a bastardized version of capitalism call Absolutely. it call it crony capitalism or really fascism Fascism, now that word gets thrown around a lot these days by people who don't really know what it means. Uh, but fascism is really the, the marriage of the private and public sector, essentially, the coming together of, of business and the state and having their interests merge. Now, I would say that, you know, for instance, if we look at the COVID situation, there's Plenty of evidence to suggest that, you know, the big pharma and the state colluded to put together a kind of narrative to push, regardless of what you think about COVID and its reality and the treatment protocols, there is without a doubt the smoking gun paper trail of collusion between business and government and government coming in to pick winners you know, pick corporate winners. Uh, and that kind of collusion is decidedly not capitalism at all. It's fascism. And, Absolutely. Absolutely. and that's where it goes wrong. <laughs> For sure. And I, but, I, and I, but I think what we're sort of pointing to here, the, to sort of get us back to the topic that we're um, on today, is how much that was covered up. Right. And sort of the blue pilling, so to speak, mm-hmm. of what was really going on. Um, and I and I think that, you know, as people, you know, moved into sort of a red pill understanding or are, are moving into an increased red pill of understanding of what's 
really happening versus what's in the media and starting to find things that have been suppressed and, um, you know, really other things are being presented forward that can't be buried any longer. You know, we, we are in this place of really waking up to an enormous burial of relative truth, right? An mm-hmm. enormous, um, you know, bait and switch type scenario where, I mean, countless people have been led to believe um, and take actions that aren't, weren't in alignment with, with actual fact. Um, and, yeah. and so I want to just lead us back a little bit to this, the, the place of, you know, the experience of that, right? And, and we, we dove into this idea of gaslighting and the experience of waking up to this, um, you know, in, in a free country, right? You know, yeah. in a yeah. country where I have to say I grew up really believing, you know, everything I heard on NPR and really right. believing <laughs> in free speech and, 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 and feeling like, you know, this was a country that where democracy, you know, I, it's, it's sort of all relative what thriving means, but certainly there was access to um, differing opinions that were readily available so one could really triangulate and find their own. And, and right. that was something I really believed was available, right? And I would never, I would never disappear, right? Right. Um, there, yeah. So, so can you speak a little bit to this, this feeling of, or this, what we've categorized as black pill? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. No, I just want to underscore what you said. I mean, we were, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's, that's what we were all about, right? Home of the, you know, uh, land of the free, home of the brave. You know, this is the, the story we were told growing up. That was the free country that we thought we were in. And, when people wake up to the fact that that's no longer true, again, a narrative that's promulgated and repeated by a complicit media that's no longer doing its job. And I think it's worth reiterating again that 30, 40 years ago, there, there were, you know, I want to say in the 80s and 90s, there were like 30 or 40 different large media operations. And, and in the last decade, that's been reduced to six companies. So the idea that the consolidation of media, media is complicit and pushing forward one particular narrative. And when we wake up to that, when we wake up to the lie of it all, it is so earth shattering. You take that red pill. It's a tough one to swallow, but holy hell, once you look around after you've ingested that puppy and you look around and you just see the depth of just collusion and oh the the corruption is just off the charts wherever you look is disheartening to say the least you know and i think that what happens is that people very easily take the red pill look around and they either think they're going crazy or that just basically the, the world makes no sense it's no longer worth living and they fall into a deep pit of despair their worldview has been shattered and this is the black pill. The, the existentialist from Kierkegaard to Spinoza would point to this falling away of all deeper meaning. You know, and for many, that includes the, the death of God as well, our capital T truth, that that no longer exists. Nothing is worth living for. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and I, think, I think there's even just sort of the experience of sort of where do we turn, right? And who and who are my allies and where are my people? Um, and, and I think a lot of people have had this experience where, you know, amongst their family members or their colleagues at work or even their friends, that their understanding of what's happening comes in sort of sharp contrast to, um, you know, those are the people around them. And there's this increased sense of isolation, of confusion of, well, now what do I do? Where do I go? Where do I look? You know, where are my people? Um, and, and, it, and it really becomes also challenging to not have to sacrifice to some degree, the comforts and things about your life 
that you wake up to no longer sort of being in alignment, right? I know a lot of that happened with people, you know, during the COVID experience and so forth. But as we're sort of moving into this sort of recognition of the levels of control and really sort of what's happening, so many more people are moving to homeschooling or living off the grid or, you know, farming their own, um, you know, land um, and things that in some ways create this real sense of isolation and removal from what we've known in terms yeah. of how we lived. And that's a big deal. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it's no wonder, right? It's no wonder when we look around and we see the depth of corruption in every... Yeah, I mean, speaking of growing your own food, let's not forget big agriculture. I mean, genetically modified food in the central... Everything is this desire to centralize and control, whether it's our food, whether it's our health, whether it's our communications with one another. I mean, you could just feel the chokehold coming around your neck when you finally open your eyes and have the courage to look at just how bad it is. So it's no wonder that people are being forced to reconsider everything. Absolutely. Well, we're being bred as really good consumers. And if that's not an interesting proposition to you, there's, you know, a whole lot you're going to have to consider giving up. <laughs> you right. know, I think that's the reality. Yeah, consume, obey, be silent, die. That's what they want from us. Yeah. That's what they want from us. It's sad. It's sad. Right. But so people are, yeah, people when they when they encounter that, that is a that's like having the rug pulled out from underneath you. So the red pill is awakening to it's happening and the black pill is feeling helpless in the face of it all. And that there's really nothing left to do and that drops people into this pit of despair. And, you know, yeah, and, and I think that, that, you know, I mean, I think the sort of purpose of our podcast, I think sort of even beyond ferreting out the truth is also to provide some sense of hope and meaning and direction through this sort of maze here to something deeper and more profound and more beautiful than possibly ever existed before. And so I think this is where we can now move into something that we're calling the white pill, which is a much more sort of empowered perspective. Um, and I think, again, you know, the concept that we're really wanting to champion here um, on this podcast and with our work. Um, and and so do you want to talk a little bit about your perspective on, on that? Sure. No, absolutely. This is, the, as you rightly state, the, the well, the good news is that there is a way out of this black pill despair. And I, I have a very short section, actually, from my from my book, From Money to Meaning, Building Purposeful Business for a Life of Contribution, where I talk about this. And and uh, if I may read just a slight, a little short snippet here, <clears throat> where I say, related to the process of moving through darkness in order to reenter the light is the emotional move from despair to empowerment. And I had, uh, I had the opportunity to work with Buddhist scholar and system scientist, Joanna Macy, uh, who was serving as faculty at the Purpose Guide Institute in 2016. And her work is actually called, it used to be called despair and empowerment work. She now calls it the work that reconnects. And her approach points to this paradox of great strength and resiliency coming through a surrendered relationship to reality. We have to feel our heart rate completely. This radical connection to life is the source of our capacity to help in its healing. As Joanna Macy describes, this goal is to reframe their pain for the world as evidence of their interconnection in the web of life, and hence of their power to take part in its healing. That's where we make the turn. When we realize that the scope of the problem is the scope of the opportunity, the scope of the radical tyranny of our world is so vast, but that it, we're all in this basket together. We're not alone. Mm -hmm. We may feel isolated. And I would submit that the psychopathic, tyrannical people at the top want to divide and conquer us and make us feel alone. But when we realize that we're not alone, 
and that we're all, we, the people are all in this together, that it is the scope of the, of that challenge is also where we find our radicals. Solidarity with one another, which is also how we get out of the black pill of the sort of black pill despair to a more empowered, soul-centric, purpose-driven approach. And in a sense, it's a great opportunity here. If everything is burnt to the ground and we have to start over fresh, now we have clear, you know, the scales have been removed from our eyes. We can see clearly now and we have the courage to, to start from within. As I always say, change starts from the inside out, from the individual to the collective. So it starts with each one of us yeah. to drop in and define that still small, quiet voice inside that is the voice of our soul, the image of ourselves stamped on our hearts at birth that has been deeper purpose and reconnection with our own soul and an invitation to those who we encounter to do the same. Yeah. That's the turn from black to white. I, 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 hallelujah to all that you just said. (laughs) Um, And because I really do feel, um, you know, we are at this, this crossroads here and the spiritual, the potential for spiritual awakening that I feel we are all having, not just individually, but almost as a species, you know, sort of irrespective of religion or how you categorize that relationship to something bigger, wider, deeper than yourself, right? Has never been so alive, so close, so documented by physical evidence in the world of science. And and so I I love what you're saying here about this, this opportunity that this is presenting to, you know, connect, find our oneness and really re-enliven our sense of soul and spirit in this world. And Andrew Harvey talks about this idea where, you know, this kind of terror, this, this, what's it, our experience right now is this terrifying global dark night, you know, of the soul of reality. Um, and in his opinion, and I, I really feel this strongly that he feels it's an ordained evolutionary mystical process. Yes. An ordained evolutionary mystical process Mm. and he says it's ordained not to annihilate us but to transfigure us into a new kind of human Mm. and that to me really sums up I feel at least you know my intention for being here on this podcast Because I think if we can move through what's going on with an understanding that it has the potential to really transform us individually, societally, universally into something closer to our divinity, right? Closer to our spiritual nature then we've really accomplished something big, right? (laughs) Really where, where, where we're really intended to head. And it does seem, you know, I mean, it's, it's to me really at the heart of the, of the work, right? Is that can we move through this challenge or is this challenge even happening for sort of the purpose of, you know, putting the pressure on the cold, so to speak, you know, to, 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 to create that diamond like heart, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I think that there's, yeah, go ahead. No, I just, I completely concur. And it's, you know, when we start talking about the dark nights, you know, the dark night of the soul is a loss of personal meaning and a loss, loss of direction, but those dark nights lead to new lights and that's the, just the way of things. And when we can kind of turn into the proverbial skid, 
where normally people go, oh my gosh, ah, I'm dying. But, you know, I'm the, the dark night of the soul, the soul is dying. And, and we, we're afraid of it. But when we turn into it and allow it to happen, we are, as you say, transfigured in the process. We are made more real, more whole, and more grounded in reality than we ever were before. And in fact, that's the painful birthing process that we, as we were reborn in increasingly refined versions of spirit made manifest. And so that, which seems like an absolute travesty, I think can be, there is a way through this. And there is a narrative that we're trying to offer here. that is essentially really good news. (laughs) Yeah. To come out the other. I mean, that's, you know, if we use Christian uh, words, it, it, that's the, you know, the good news of the gospel is this notion that there is a chance to be reborn in spirit Absolutely. and that we we can we can put that mantle on and not only ourselves to be reborn in spirit, but to find our brothers and sisters who are on the path and connect with them in an authentic way and to recognize that we don't need power over anymore that is a myth we don't need people above us holding us down under their proverbial thumbs that we are all sovereign independent powerful beautiful splinters of the divine right and that we don't need the notion of power over the command and control whether it's in business in government or in society at large this notion that we need to submit to the power the powerful based on what but it's all an illusion that people are this notion that if we don't have somebody forcing us to do things that it's just going to turn into this complete you know chaos dystopian nightmare i think is ridiculous when most human interactions if you think about it other than what happens in the official sphere is not it's awake human beings coming together to do what they do, that we don't need to be oppressed lest we rip each other's eyes out in every moment. And not to say that there, that, that never happens, but the, the normal way of human beings being together, we don't need anybody over us, co- controlling us, mandating things, requiring things by on whose authority we're all splinters of the divine. You know, no one has, the authority to to squash that based on their own agenda and as soon as we can stand up in our spiritual wholeness in our brother sisterhood with others who are awake we have the chance to build a new world without getting too utopian and out there it's certainly the direction of human and planetary thriving is to move in that direction to stand up to re claim our divinity to be a stand for that truth that is stamped on our hearts at birth what the greeks call your our daemon our our unique guardian angel that rides on our shoulder throughout our lives that brings our particular uniqueness into this incarnation that we can be a stand for that we can honor that with one another and that we can we can beat this back. We are, even though we're made to feel like we're the fringe minority to stand up and say such truths as we're saying on this podcast, we are the majority by far, a million to one, these so-called elites. And again, even that generates an eye roll among many of the conformist people who, you know, the sleepwalking sheep who are sleepwalking into the wood chipper that don't see any of this and think we're crazy. They roll their eyes and say, Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Yes, we've heard that. But again, these people are out in the open admitting their goals and aims. It's hardly a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy fact demonstrable, but we are many and they are few. And there's fundamentally good news um, here. And I think this is the, you know, the more responsibility that we can take personally for the problems and challenges of the whole, the more meaning and purpose our individual lives have. That's exactly. a fundamentally good thing. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because I kind of want to tie this back to, you know, I mean, if we sort of just look at, you know, the Tao and sort of the way the I Ching 
sort of speaks about that um, and, and the harmony, right, that can be restored um, and the way back to harmony, right, the way back to balance, right, if we can even sort of take it out of, you know, even sort of, uh, you know, our analogy to sort of the, the, the sort of Christed nature of things, um, you know, we have really at this moment this really fascinating choice to follow ego, right, which the I Ching would describe as the inferior man right. or our inner truth, which is categorized as a superior man. And that's really where we are, right? Do we listen to inner truth? Do we let that be the guidepost, right? Or do we sort of, you know, follow sort of our undisciplined senses and choose comfort or choose, you know, the illusion right. of safety? And so it's really fascinating because the process, right, of awakening to this and the process of making these difficult choices and enduring the sacrifices and challenges and finding the solutions and coming together is, is really sort of the transformational process. Right of of moving from sort of egoic direction to soul based wholeness, and so there's something really beautiful, right, about this process. Sort of even you know, kind of as a, a metaphor for for transformation on the whole. And what I really feel is happening here, right, is that we are having this invitation to mature and evolve our consciousness as a society, as a world, as a, you know, as a whole and yeah. grow up into a more mature, more conscious, more divine expression of humanity. And that's Hallelujah. That's Hallelujah. Amen. Amen, sister. I'm, I'm with you. It warms my heart. It gives me a sense of what's possible. Yeah. And that is what we're going to explore in this podcast oh, as we yeah. make that, <laughs> as we make that turn at the bottom of the proverbial arc of despair, pit of despair <laughs> and, and cl climb our way back out. Right. Um, I, may I, this I, podcast and our work be an opportunity to help us find our way. Right. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait till next time, Grant. And, um, with that, we thank everybody for being here with us, and we so look forward to diving into the next juicy topic together next time. Excellent. Thank you so much, Cynthia. And thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs> thank you, Grant. Okay. Bye-bye.